0: Today on In Check with Fintech, we have the pleasure of having Daniel Dodaline, CEO of Alka, back on the show. Daniel, thanks for coming back on.
1: It's a pleasure to be here again this time, Louis, Thank you. Absolutely. We, we thought the first show went so well,
0: we would make you a, a guinea pig for a, for a trilogy. <laughs> the first time we've ever had a guest on more than once. So we're going to do this second show, a deep dive on mobile payments, and then a third one and then release them back to back. So uh, thank you for uh, coming along with that, Dan.
1: It's my pleasure to be a guinea Pig and and try out (laughs) this new format. I I love it. I love it. I'll do my best.
0: (laughs) So for anyone keen to find out more about Daniel and his his great background in payments and fintech and his various companies, please go back and listen to the first podcast, which you can find in this feed, because today we're going to jump straight off the deep end into... uh, talk about mobile payments all things mobile payments and uh where should we begin dan maybe it's helpful just to define the terms it's thrown around a lot very easy to say mobile payments just uh, just what is it
1: yeah uh, how much time do we have <laughs> no I'll, I'll i'll try to define them the way i see them and and i think it's important for the listener to understand that there are there are different types of mobile payments out there, and for us working in the industry, uh, these differences are quite obvious. but when we just use the word mobile payments uh, it 's hard to know which type of mod- mobile payments we 're talking about so So let me try to uh, firstly group them um, into two different groups, which is the the primary separation that we use when we talk about mobile payments so One type of mobile payment is the hardware-based mobile payment. I think that's the easiest way to put them into one category. So what are hardware-based mobile payments? So hardware-based mobile payment means that even if it's on your phone, so you're using your mobile phone to interact with the service, the service relies on a certain piece of hardware or several units of hardware. So, um, In the industry, we call these NFC based payments. So, so near field contact um, and contactless is also another word for this. Uh, And the easy way to to categorize them and explain them is that you take your contactless payment card and you glue it on the backside of your phone. And that's basically what you do with services like Apple Pay and Google Pay and the other NFC wallets out there. Uh, They rely on uh, this contactless technology, which is actually hardware. So inside your mobile phone, there is an antenna and equally inside the store where you want to pay, there is uh, another antenna, which is typically then uh, inside the payment terminal. So the place where you previously swiped or inserted your card, or if you tap your card to it, that's exactly the same thing you're doing with a hardware-based mobile payment service. So Apple Pay, Google Pay, uh, and the equivalent services like that, typically issued by your bank, uh, are all in the industry categorized as NFC wallets. Uh, these are the mobile payment hardware solutions. And there is um, a, a small uh, <clears throat> there, there there is a small difference uh, in reality uh, paying with these type of services uh, than paying with your card. Hence the 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 example of gluing your card to the backside of your phone. So that's category number one. And what is the difference then uh, between these and category number two? So let's first define category number two. So category number two are then mobile payments that are not hardware based. So they're pure software. They are simply an app you install on your phone, but they do not rely on any hardware for you to use them. Uh, And that brings us to and explaining the difference is probably easier than uh, as a way of defining number two, because what can you do with the software based mobile payment solution that that you can't do with the hardware based payment solutions and vice versa. So if we look at the hardware based mobile payment solutions, you obviously have to be in a situation where the hardware that's needed is available. So this would be walking up to, let's say, um, a gate that controls access to, for example, the tube or some public transport. Um, And there is already hardware installed there. There is a a machine gated situation where you want to pass and previously you had to buy a ticket. Uh, But now you can just tap your phone towards this payment terminal that's integrated in the gate. And that works perfectly. So NFC payments or hardware-based mobile payments are beautiful in these scenarios because they enable you to just quickly pass through uh, one of these scenarios. Uh, but in reality, you're paying with your card. So this is a card-based payment. Uh, it's just that the payment terminal has been you know, deeply integrated into the, the gate and you're tapping your phone that has this card embedded inside it. So in reality, you could just pass the same gate using your payment card. Assuming your payment card had, you know, the contactless capability. Now, uh, these are typical scenarios that the software-based mobile payment solutions cannot cover uh, because they're not part of the hardware uh, universe. That they don't have the hardware. Um, so that they don't rely on those rails. So if you were to use an alternative mobile payment app, which is another name for these mobile payment services, let's say, you know, Alipay, WeChat Pay, Settle, Swish, Vips, Mobile Pay, Venmo in the US, or Sell, these are some of the the names of the different uh, mobile payment apps that are software-based. You wouldn't be able to just tap uh, to this gate or this, payment terminal and pass because they don't rely on that hardware they don't support that hardware so in that category so paying in a situation where the hardware is already present and you used to pay with the card but now you can pay with your hardware payment enabled phone the hardware-based mobile payment services sort of win they have the upper hand and then we can go to the software side and see okay so so what are the use cases and situations where the with the software-based mobile payment services um help and, and and win and solve problems and this brings us into into um different use cases and situations that are super interesting and and also the the reason why these mobile payment solutions are the fastest growing financial services product on the face of the planet why um, Alipay and WeChat Pay and, and Venmo and Cell and these other services out there has been so successful and growing exponentially is because they're covering scenarios that the hardware-based payment solutions typically do not cover. And these are the odd payment scenarios. And we can, we can sort of group them in two different uh, categories. So the software-based solutions are addressing two different categories. Category number one is person-to-person. So that's humans that would like to exchange funds between themselves. So me sending money to you and you sending money to me. Typically the hardware based payment solutions are not doing this. Some of them are starting to add this capability on top because they've seen that the software based mobile payment solutions are so successful addressing the needs of people to send and receive money instantly using their phone, that they're adding this on top. But but this is the first differentiating category that the software-based mobile payment solutions have have really nailed down and um, while they're seeing massive growth. Because when you enable people to send and receive money in real time from your mobile phone, typically only using mobile phone numbers, you are tapping into a viral spread element. You're solving problems for people. You don't need to go to the ATM anymore. You don't need to enter in you know, lengthy um, account numbers or IBANs. You don't need to uh, sign these payments in your mobile banking uh, solution with OTP dongles. Uh, There is less typo. You just pick a recipient from your address book, uh, the same style as you would send them a text message. So it's very convenient, very easily accessible in an environment that most consumers are are used to. Um, And for that reason, the software-based payment solutions have grown significantly. So that's category number one is the the sort of person-to-person payment space. That's where the software-based mobile payment solutions win. Uh, The second category uh, is the merchants. So the business side. Uh, and this is the only side the hardware uh, mobile payment solutions are typically addressing because they're mimicking a card payment, they're just moving the card from your wallet onto your phone. So you still rely on these traditional payment situations. You're, you're in a store, uh, you're in the same queue as before, you're buying the same product as before, you're paying the same amount as before, you're actually paying to the same payment terminal as before, but you're tapping your phone instead of flicking out your card. So so that's the only sort of difference with the hardware based mobile payment solutions in a payment scenario inside a store. Now the software based payment solutions when they are trying to, um, address the the business side. So the merchant opportunities, what we've seen historically, um, that has proven to be the most successful way for software based payment solutions to address this, this market is actually not to address the typical retail environments. So, If you already have a card terminal inside your store, you likely as a business do not really have a lot of problems with payments right otherwise your store wouldn't exist. So the fact that you accept payments using cards already means that you to some extent have covered your payment issues in that physical store environment. So the software based payment uh, mobile payment solution needs to address the businesses in different ways. And because they're software-based, they're not bound to a certain location. They're not bound to any physical hardware. So it means that software-based mobile payments can address other types of businesses or other types of situations. For example, uh, and we can play out some scenarios. Let's say that you are a business and you're serving coffee and you have your traditional um way of doing this you have your, your your sort of procedures in your business people come in they queue up they order they pay and then they get their coffee very starbucks style and um, the first example is in fact the starbucks example because it's so familiar and it's a very good example for software-based mobile payment solutions now what starbucks did which is the same that any of the software-based mobile payment solutions are doing is that they're looking for ways to sell more in a more efficient fashion, uh, while providing very good user experiences, and preferably also customizing the experience to you as as a person, Uh, and they do that through the app. So instead of having you walk into the store and queuing up, they allow you to, for example, order and prepay for coffee using your phone. And that might seem obvious, but there is a huge difference here between hardware based mobile payments and software based mobile payments, because when you're software based, you're not bound to that physical hardware inside the store. So the order can actually happen and the payment can happen before you are even nearby the store. So that whole thing in terms of queuing up and ordering what you want and queuing up to pay for it is already taken care of before you even enter the store. And that's just one example. So obviously that enables the store to receive a lot more orders. There is you know, less time for the consumer inside the shop, less queuing, uh, much more efficient handover and all overall a completely different and much more desirable consumer journey when you want to order coffee. And this is the fundamental difference is that you're, you're, you can also categorize the hardware-based and the software-based with two other words, which would be proximity and remote. So hardware means proximity, you need to be nearby basically injecting yourself into the old school established ways of interacting with the business you queue up and you pay at the terminal but you're using a different mechanical tool to do so. Versus remote where you have an app on your phone and you can browse around and you can explore different products and different services and you can interact with the businesses remotely digitally on your phone and pay and order uh, and avoid all the queues. And there are a million of these different examples where this is very uh, applicable. And um, the software-based solutions or the remote-based solutions have then given not only consumers a new experience, but they've also given businesses new opportunities to sell more and reach out to their clients. You're not bound by your physical location anymore. You're not bound by only having people Randomly stumble upon your physical store and entering it and queuing up and buying stuff, you can address customers. People um, was very attractive, but it was also because a lot of like odd business cases. So um, uh, you know, sports is a big thing here in the Nordics, and and also sort of the the uh, non elite sports, so local sports, local sports clubs, the 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 charities. Uh, all of the sort of communal activities surrounding those type of activities are uh, also monetary driven. I mean, you know, cake sales, uh, buying tickets, entering the arena, uh, all of these sort of non-professional sports club all have huge issues dealing with payments because it's quite expensive to register and set up and get a payment terminal. So when there was a, a software-based alternative, where you didn't have to have any hardware, you could accept payments by your name uh, or by a QR code, for example, that was extremely attractive. And these are some of the odd cases where you enable commerce and you enable uh, consumer to business type of payments um, in a way where you're solving problems for both sides and you're saving them a lot of money because the alternative would be to accept card payments and and let's say have a, a card terminal that's fairly expensive only for like one or two days and there are several other examples for that as well you can you know seasonal trades people selling stuff at the beach uh flea markets um you know um, the the traveling sales people um the plumber carpenters handy people coming to your house i mean there's a million of these examples where the physical proximity hardware-based payment is not ideal uh, and in these scenarios, and I call them sort of the 50% and down part of the, of the um, business market. So the SMEs, the smaller and micro merchants are the, the main target audience for these software based payment solutions at first. So that was a long monologue trying to define hardware and software based mobile payments, also known as proximity and remote mobile payments. Those are the two major categories we have and they are fundamentally different.
2: We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech, as well as the largest global merchants, grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. I love the way you clearly defined out both
0: sides of the of the market. There, do you see it as a, a bit of a zero sum match between hardware and software solutions? Do you think as software becomes more and more prevalent, more and more intelligent, more and more embedded in our phones and in our daily lives, that old physical point of sale terminals and plastic card acceptance is just going to dry up over the years or will there always be a solid place for it
1: so i mean uh this would be very subjective and based on my my own views of the industry uh i'm a firm believer that card payments the physical part of this is going to go away the question is obviously when Uh, As software takes over, as every consumer and every business has the uh, devices needed to pay and get paid already, when smartphones become ubiquitous, basically, um, there is no need for that hardware. And we can see this already happening as the uh, and we, we can talk more about this. I know we have the third episode lined up where we will talk about sort of this this payment wars, uh, the, the payment war that's ongoing and sort of who are the different stakeholders and, and how are they trying to uh, protect um, uh, their current position and how are others trying to take positions in the future. Um, but when we look at the the hardware based payment ecosystem, which is the the old, the traditional payment ecosystem, so with Visa, Mastercard, the the the, the banks on the issuing side playing a role, and the acquirers playing their role, um, what we see is that they are also trying to step up their game, right? They've been they've been um, uh, they haven't really been pushing innovation that hard, and there's many reasons for that. It's also hard to innovate in in an ecosystem that's so um, you know, interdependent. There's so many parties that rely on each other. So doing innovation inside that ecosystem is very hard and it takes a lot of time. We, we can see that with the in- introduction of NFC. So contactless payments, I mean, it took ages uh, from this technology was invented until it was like seriously commercialized. And, uh, it's, it's, what is it, four years in between the different uh, seasonal Olympics And I mean, Visa has been sponsoring this for, what is it, the last five rounds? And talking about now is the time that contactless payments is going to take off, like, well. It didn't really do that, right? It, t- it took a lot of time, and still, uh, contactless payments is not the dominant way for people to pay with their cards, even uh, in the midst of this pandemic situation, right? But um, so, so I firmly believe that the software-based, the remote, the 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 non hardware-based solutions are going to take over over time. Uh, it's it's a simple, it's a simple natural development of of. Uh, how we would interact with our money because you already have all the the tools you need. The hardware is your smartphone, basically. So as everyone has a smartphone, um, you have the tools you need and you'll move away from the dedicated hardware that's quite expensive, quite dumb, uh, that only does card payments. So so that's my prediction. Um, And we see, as I said, we see on the hardware side, um, you saw recently uh, Apple acquired... Um, a company that does um, virtual point of sales so or virtual card acceptance in in the form of a piece of software that runs on, on a device that has this NFC antenna. So basically, every iPhone out there could, in fact, with the right software on it, uh, become uh, a card accepting terminal. Exactly. So they're they're they are moving that way, but that's not you know it's 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 not without problems. Because when you have an industry, the hardware-based industry, which is extremely trust-driven, I mean, it it is today like the largest payments industry out there. This is the way we traditionally have paid. And the the new ones, although we're growing extremely rapidly and taking over large percentages of what used to be card volume, um, the general trust with the already card-paying audience is with the cards, and and we've established habits. So one of the one of the key challenges with revolutionizing that industry, besides all the parties have to agree and move collectively forward, because there's so many parties involved in that ecosystem, um, the issuers, the acquirers, the, the the various technology providers, all the consumers, and the the merchants. And not to talk about um, the technology providers throughout that whole value chain. So that takes a lot of time, but, uh, you also have to educate, uh, everyone on the trust side. So let, let me make this scenario for you and ask for, for your, for, for your take on it. So let's say, let's say you, I mean, obviously you have a contactless card right in your wallet Mm -hmm. and you know that when you tap that to a payment terminal inside a store, uh, you pay with it and following the changes in, in rules for the card schemes, you can now pay a fairly high amounts without entering your PIN call by just tapping it towards the payment terminal, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You feel comfortable doing that when you're inside a store, right? Yep, I do. Yeah, because, because you're in the queue, you're in the physical presence of a store, there is sort of this established trust in that environment that you will get the goods that you're paying for because you're right there, you can talk to people.
0: Indeed, I think the limit keeps going. I'm in the Netherlands, I typically use my ABN bank card. I think they started at 10 and then 20 euro. And I think I could pay up to 30 euro without having to put my four digit pin in. And I'd be happy right. for it to go higher, quite, quite frankly. I don't mind.
1: Yes. So, um, and, and there's uh, three strikes before pin and so forth, right? And all of these things are being pushed. Um, and it, it, is, it is basically an example of the risk. Uh, that goes on here because there are different parties in the in the scheme that takes on certain parts of the risk when you do this and they allow you to do a transaction without entering the PIN because it means basically that you were not authenticated, right? I mean, the only thing that happened in that scenario is that you presented the card. You basically presented your account number, say, charge this. Uh, there is no documentation that you were at that location because you didn't use your PIN, which you know is personal <laughs> identification number, so to verify that you were there, uh, not only your card. Um, so when we're wrenching down this slippery slope of basically just throwing around our card numbers, which obviously has been fairly known on the internet to be quite dangerous, because people can charge uh, your card number if they have the information needed, which is a problem with the physical card networks is that... Um, your, your card information is quite sensitive. Now, not to go into all of those details. So to, 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 to bring us back to the examples, so you're comfortable being inside the store, uh, buying a product and then just tapping your card and then your account just gets charged accordingly, right? Um, now, what would happen if you replaced the card payment terminal that you're currently tapping towards and you replace that with the mobile phone of the person working behind the counter.
0: Hmm. I mean there may be some suspicion at first. I mean my trust hackles might go up slightly more but as I did it, you know, 50 times, I imagine I would stop even thinking about it pretty soon.
1: Exactly. So there is a transition period there. And and this is my point is that we don't know what that would be. But the challenge here is that you know that your card is a sensitive thing. You know that your card is connected sort of directly to your bank account or a line of credit. Uh, And uh, when you sort of tap it, and there's a lot of research on this and a lot of statistics in terms of, you know, using your card online and, and whether or not consumers are scared for their card information and sort of the sense of security And and obviously Visa and MasterCard are selling this as as part of their network is that they're also to some extent with their issues of the card, providing um, certain different levels of of guarantees, uh, giving you the opportunity to charge back on payments that are, you know, payments that you believe you didn't do. Uh, so there there is an uh, an insurance scheme built into this scheme to try to build trust for consumers to be comfortable paying with their cards. M- my pointer is that the transition that the hardware based uh, mobile payments industry needs to do is is very hard because they need to bring Uh, a hardware-based, trust-based, very proximity-based thing into like the next generation, like for example, tapping a mobile phone towards another mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And then you to trust the business on the other side to be allowed to just charge your card. I mean, what would separate that particular mobile phone from a mobile phone on the street, right? Why, Why couldn't I just tap my my, my mobile phone as a, as a payment terminal towards your pocket. I know this is sort of a scary tactic because you, you need to open your phone and you will use your, your thumb or your face to validate the transaction. But still there is this, this, this uh, change in behavior um, that will simplify the way you pay, but will also make virtually every mobile phone into a card reading device. Right. And I think that transition is a tough one. Uh, it will happen, but it is a tough one. Um, because it's so challenging, the trust. It, it's like um, the adoption of, let's say, iSettle or Square or sum up of these uh, these different like alternative, simpler, smaller, smarter card terminals. Um, there is a lot of research that indicates that there, there, there was a certain amount of friction and, and trust issue for consumers to pay to these terminals because they didn't look like a mobile payment, sorry, a, a, mobile, a card reading terminal. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're just removing the card reading terminal altogether and making it phone to phone. So I, I believe that that transition will be interesting, but there is a long way for the the hardware based ecosystem to move versus what we see on the software based. Because in the software based payment uh, world, you're not exchanging any sensitive information. And I think this is like groundbreaking and fundamental for the software based and remote payment mobile payment services. Is that? you're scanning a QR code, for example, and then you're validating the payment on your screen and there are security elements involved in in succeeding or completing that transaction that you can't really, I mean, you can't steal any sensitive data in that transaction uh, because your card information or your your account information is not exchanged in any way with the business. So there are some technical security differences in the way the proximity-based hardware-based world Uh, Works uh, and has worked leading up to or comparing with the software-based side. So I would argue that you are more secure paying in a software ecosystem.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com.
0: At the risk of going down a bit of a rabbit hole, and let me know if I'm getting too off track for you, but jumping back one or two to when you described P2P, person-to-person direct transfer payments, in the Netherlands we use something called Tiki, and Tiki is completely... omnipresent now, I must use it a couple of times a day to send and receive typically small transfers, less than a hundred euros. I'm not sure what the Nordic equivalent is. Do you, do you have something like that, which is, is dominant in the Nordics? Or do you have a, a number of Tiki style companies competing for, uh, for customers?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Tiki has a good example, uh, of this, um, one national service mm. that enables consumers in in the given market to send and receive m- m- money virtually instantly regardless of which bank you're using yes uh, and this this concept uh, stems from um, the Nordics in fact right so the Nordic- the Nordics were the first ones to uh, implement these type of solutions that are universal and general um, in fact I invented the the first one and
0: for this whole story again please go back to our previous podcasts because we, we deep dive on, on exactly this, Daniel, but uh, yeah, please continue.
1: Right. So, so what we see is that, uh, and Tiki is a great example of this, is that consumers gravitate towards these services because it's clearly solving a problem for them. This is where the financial services industries, or namely the, the banks, or Visa or MasterCard for that matter, haven't, haven't really understood their, their obligation or seen this opportunity to innovate and, and serve for their clients. And for that reason, other players came along. And, and the majority of the examples of this are non-bank based services. So, I mean, to summarize, I created the first one in Norway. I was a FinTech, it was later acquired by the banks. And now today in Norway, we have the equivalent of Tiki, which is called VIPs, which is used by, you know, more than 80% of the Norwegian population. So they are sending and receiving money. Um, now the difference between Tiki and, and, and VIPs is that VIPs has a very thriving um, um, merchant ecosystem. I know that Tiki is trying to do this as well, but it's early days um but this is the example of building out a full ecosystem from a software-based mobile payment app right so sotki is a software-based mobile payment app they're in our second category and they're serving people predominantly with p2p and then eventually they're expanding the service with p2b so paying to a business mm-hmm. uh, and in in Norway we have Vips which is very successful on doing this and then equally in Sweden we have swish which is doing the same um and in, in Sweden, this was a bank initiative. In Denmark, it was also a bank initiative with mobile pay. If you look at Alipay, which is the absolute largest version uh, globally of this type of software based payment uh, apps, mobile payments, uh, they're the largest one. Uh, and they're not bank, uh, right? <laughs> They've become a financial institution fundamentally. And it's one of the larger ones out there. But I mean, they are a great example of this coming from somewhere other than banks. Uh, equally, um, uh, WhatsApp pay, I mean, not coming from the banks. Venmo in the US, not coming from the banks. And then you have the reaction in the US to the success of Venmo, which is then the collaborative solution coming from the banks, which is called Sell. So I, I guess what we see is that consumers... Are absolutely ready for a simpler way to send and receive money using their phone and simply addressing the payments, typically with mobile phone numbers, because that's, you know, it's globally unique, it's universal, it's already on your phone. So the concept of using them as a destination address is quite obvious. And uh, these services are growing rapidly globally, and the majority of them used to be non bank based. But then we see that banks are now waking up to this this opportunity and see that if they don't provide something like this for their customers, uh, the customers will likely adopt something else, which is a huge problem. Uh, and, and this plays into the sort of business model behind software-based mobile payments and why you need to do it um, and, and plays into the next episode, obviously, also, which is part of the sort of the, the, the war of mobile payments and why that is playing out and why it's so important. But but clearly, the banks are seeing If we don't serve our clients with something like Tiki or the equivalent in every other market, uh, somebody else will, someone is going to address this opportunity and serve our clients. Uh, and it's dangerous because it's a general solution. So as you know, I I guess most of the people, you know, is using Tiki the way you're using it. Mm -hmm. Um, and for that reason, it spreads virally and everyone just grows accustomed to this. And this is the natural thing. Could you just Tiki me the money? Yep. And then everyone does that.
0: Yep. Where do you think this goes from a corporate ownership standpoint? You had the great experience of actually developing uh, one of these uh, P2P Tiki style companies and and selling it to a bank. Um, How does it look over the next three or four years? Do you think big banks just continue to buy up uh, mobile software payments companies? Do you think the the payments companies hold out and stay in private hands for longer? there's so much m a in fintech generally, but how do you see the picture looking from an ownership or corporate dominance aspect in, in a couple of years in this space?
1: That's a, a fantastic question. I have, have many and very strong opinions about this. They will all obviously be predictions. So, you know, take it with, uh, with a few grains of salt. Um, what we've seen in the Nordics, which to me is, um, obviously, because I, I'm 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 here from Norway, and and I've seen firsthand the development here in the Nordics. Um, but I, I do believe that we represent to some extent a sort of a crystal ball for what will play out. Now I'll, I'll try to justify why that is. So, the Nordics generally, I mean, obviously we're spoiled. We have a lot of money. Living standards are high. We're sort of affluent. There's, there's a lot of the sort of macroeconomical uh, arguments for why we are you know forward uh, or first in many of these developments <clears throat> equally we see some of these developments in asia as well in certain certain parts of of asia and in certain parts of specific countries in asia where we see this extreme rapid uh, adoption historically we can prove that this has happened in the nordics uh, if we look back at trends like uh, adopting mobile phones uh, doing the switch from from old legacy today type of of um, mobile connections, uh, leading up to you know the 3G, 4G, 5G, the Nokia phones, smartphone adoption, digital TV, uh, the rollout of internet, and and all of these like trends. Uh, and if we historically look back at them and then look across the globe, we see to some extent that there's this ripple effect coming out of the north. So if it was successful here. It's very often successful elsewhere, at least in Europe, over a certain uh, course of time. Uh, And we see that that adoption curve is obviously being compacted um, because of technology and ubiquitous access to smartphones and so forth. So if if we trust that mechanism, if, if we believe that sort of what happened with, you know, internet access, digital TV, mobile phone adoption, later smartphone adoption, and, you know, adoption of social media outside of their home market like the US. If we believe that that is true, that that's an indicator of what's going to happen in the future for something as mobile payments, for example. The development that we've seen is that either there is a fintech startup that does something, uh, like myself. Uh, And we do something with mobile payments that addresses the need in the market like we've covered extensively. And the banks wake up to this reality that is, if we don't do it, somebody else will. And that's been further accelerated by change in regulation. And, And this is deep diving into the details, but it's such an important part of the dynamics. We got PSD-1, or it it wasn't called PSD-1 at the time. It was called the Payment Services Directive, and then that didn't really plow through as intended by the EU, so they made a second iteration of it, so PSD-2. Um, uh, In summary, the the main consequences of PSD-2 is that the different uh, banks that run payment accounts, so your bank account for consumers, has to open up those bank accounts through a technical interface, an API, For third party providers to access that means that any anyone other banks and third party providers like a lot of the fintech players out there that are licensed or the big tech or the big media guys, they can connect to your bank account if you allow them to and then they can serve you uh so if someone creates a very attractive like tiki or <laughs> Wipps, mobile pay venmo sell settle alipay WeChat pay you know pick your name mm-hmm. creates a very attractive service that has these dynamics these viral spread dynamics and is really serving customers very quickly and it's sort of almost addictive everyone wants this is so obvious if that can even be delivered on top of the bank accounts that the banks are providing you without the bank even being involved the banks have basically lost their customer relationship. Right. And we will cover this more in the third episode, uh, sort of why why is this important? But clearly, if, if you're a big bank and you're losing the day-to-day interaction with your own clients, that's a huge problem. Uh, and this dynamic forces the banks to come up with something. It forces the banks to wake up and say, okay, regulation is pushing this, consumer need is pushing this, and I need to serve my customers. Um, and that creates a huge challenge for the banks. And what we've seen the respond is, is that the banks are doing uh, one out of a couple of different things. So either they do nothing, right? They hold their hands in front of their eyes and they, they pray that this, like many other things, will just be like a wolf-wolf thing that, that passes. So you know, PSD1 didn't really become a success, maybe PSD2 just passes as well, maybe we never get PSD3, and maybe this mobile payment thing is, is, is a short-lived fad that, that consumers will forget. <laughs> uh, likely not, if we're looking at the growth of Alipay, which is sort of the, the benchmark for, for how such a non-bank mobile payment service can really take on market share. Uh, so that, that's one reaction. The other reaction is that they say, okay, we need to do this, And then they venture onto this extremely lengthy analysis project where they try to figure out what's the best way. And then the third way uh, is that they just go and do it instantly, which is typically the result of number two as well, is that they decide to do it on their own. They want to make their own. They want to own the customers. They want to control the setup. They want to make their own Tiki. So if you're a client of one bank, so so which bank do you use, Lewis? A, B, and AMRO typically. Right. So, so let's say that, that so you're, you're a customer of that bank and they, they are scared that, that you will start to use something called Tiki, for example. Mm-hmm. Let's presume now that they're not involved in that in any way, that this is a fintech startup or you know, it's owned by a media giant or a tech giant or whoever uh, that is trying to serve you uh, directly. Now, your bank will then be scared because <laughs> they're losing the interactions daily. You just said that you're using Tiki a couple of times a day, which is likely more often than you're using your mobile banking app, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so then it's a good example of the, the, the value of the eyeballs and the need to have you use a service from your bank versus using, for example, Tiki, because the interactions that you have with this new service is much more frequent and basically they're owning your eyeballs. Uh, and can sell you other financial services products and your relationship is being um, slowly but surely, um, you know, you, it, it gets pulverized and, and you drift away from your bank. Um, so w- what they tend to do is that they want to create something on their own. Now the problem that many of the banks don't necessarily see and this relates back to what has happened in the nordics and and the way that this is developed here which is now also confirmed by the way that it's been developed in the us Mm -hmm. is that if you make your own service you are alienating a lot of clients right if your bank was the one that made tiki and they branded it with their bank name and their logo and, and you know named it that way and it looked like it came from your bank it would to a large extent, alienate other customers. So customers of other banks.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And as far, as far as I know, there are not that many people out there who choose their friends based on who, how they bank. Mm-hmm. So, so it means that when you, were, when you wanted to use the bank service on the same frequency as what you're using Tiki today, you would likely not be able to do so because it's, it's only serving their own clients. So they need to make a service that serves everyone Problem with that is, again, if you're not branding it the right way, if you're not making it universal, you're alienating other clients. And then finally, that leads to the learnings from the Nordics. If you want to saturate the market completely, because we have to remember what the goal for this thing was from the bank side, the goal was to protect themselves, right? Protect themselves against other local or foreign competitors big tech or, or or big media that are trying to address their customers so if the goal is to protect yourself initially and then later monetize a new service you uh historically what we've seen is that the only way to do that successfully on a large scale is to establish one uh domestic standard yes. like Tiki is the only one uh and, and Vips is the only one in Norway, and, and Swish is the only one in Sweden, and Mobile Pay is the only one in Denmark. And, and in China, you have two non-bank players battling it out, and you can do that because the market is so big. Uh, but virtually every Chinese person has both apps, and they're yes. using them in different social settings. Mm-hmm. And in the U.S., you know, there's there's a, a hardcore um, a follower. A group for Venmo uh, and then equally, you know, the the everyday uh, user who hasn't been introduced to the cool hip startup Venmo app is being converted to join Cell, which is the bank solution. So the dynamic is that the banks need to understand that it's not only about, you know, serving your own clients and protecting them. It's about serving the whole market, your whole domestic market, regardless of who owns the client. Uh, because you need that ecosystem you need people to be able to send and receive money regardless of who they bank with and you actually need to partner with the other banks your competitors in order to saturate the market fully and that is the sort of recipe for success that we've seen everywhere so when someone launches their own mobile payment service uh, you know whether or not they target their own clients or a wider audience if they don't partner with other larger players in the market there will always be this fight, which is unhealthy for the saturation of the market. Because if you you can imagine if if everyone made their own Visa card, uh, like fully, so one launched Visa, the other launched Visa, TISA, KISA, and RISA, mm-hmm. they were all different schemes. You can imagine consumers would be very reluctant to adopt this. Uh, and you can imagine businesses would be very reluctant to have five or seven or 10 different payment terminals uh, in their stores. So everything will grind to a halt until a winner emerges. So what we've seen in the Nordics verified in the US that that we're seeing that the banks haven't really fully figured out across Europe yet is that you actually have to collaborate with your competitors if you want to win domestically. If you want to create a national standard for mobile payments, there has to be some level of of cooperation in order to saturate the market fully. Uh, And there's a learning here. Uh, Funny enough, if you look at Visa and MasterCard, so Visa and MasterCard are are one of the greatest examples of exactly that dynamic. If you think of it, it's kind of weird, right? So your bank is competing head to head with probably 10 other banks in the Netherlands Mm -hmm. for your attention, trying to get you as a client. But they're all issuing Visa cards too. They're giving you a piece of plastic that has another company's brand name on it. And the reason for that is obviously they make money out of your usage, but the only way that they can do that is because it's a network. It's a scheme. It's a setup that where everyone is actually, um, you know, against all odds and against uh, the competition in the market are actually collaborating so that my clients can go and pay and interact with your clients. If you and I are banks and that actually benefits both of us more than if we were doing the visa, visa, visa type of scheme, um, system. So we, we have, we're we're waiting for this um, for this realization to happen across Europe for banks to understand that you can't build a national proprietary standard that you're not collaborating uh, to distribute in your market. It's completely fine that you build a national domestic standard because, I mean, every single market has their own. You have Tiki in the Netherlands. It's nothing like VIPs. Right. Those two schemes don't talk with each other. You can't send money from Tiki to Vips and vice versa yet, but there's no interoperability, but that's fine because, you know, more than 99% of your everyday payment as an everyday consumer is actually domestic payments in your home market. So solve those problems and you can fix the rest later. Uh, So it's completely fine to do a proprietary service in your market, but you have to collaborate domestically with your competitors in order to saturate the market fully. And and it doesn't seem that everyone is aware of that. So when you ask me about the future, I guess the conclusion would be, uh, we believe that this will happen. We believe that there will be one winner eventually in every individual domestic market, Mm -hmm. and they might be different players, uh, but until the banks decide to somehow collaborate, like we've seen in the US and, and in the Nordics, Uh, it's going to be extremely hard to create that domestic winner on your own. So you have to collaborate. Um, And not to sell ourselves in that context, but this is one of our key learnings in, in my business, is that we're trying to facilitate that collaboration in a very structured way. Because from an experience point of view, not only do we believe that that's crucial, that you collaborate to saturate the market and win and protect yourself, but we also know that banks have a tendency to not be really good at collaborating, right? right. Because I mean, they are competitors, and uh, it took the EU and the Parliament to decide that banks should collaborate to create the SEPA and you know build the infrastructure behind that. Uh, and now we see the benefits of that initiative. I mean, obviously the banks could have decided on doing some some sort of infrastructure. Not to say a hundred years ago but literally they could decided to do a different setup than than the old corresponding banking networks that are extremely expensive for everyone involved uh, but somebody had to force their for you know force their hand to to, to do that um, and that's what we're trying to do to 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 facilitate that collaboration uh, that we believe is so important for the markets to be um, saturated uh, and obviously there's another dimension so again talking about the future so uh, one thing is to win domestically, uh, but you also have to, to some extent, cater to the, the now maybe one percent. But 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 Dan, I think we are careening into some of the subject matter for our
0: next podcast here, and we've we've covered a lot, and it's been quite prophetic. I particularly like the Nordics as a template for the future of uh, mobile payment software globally, and the notion that banks have to learn to collaborate uh, in order to make this a win-win and that's not been in their nature in the past and your position in, in helping some of your local regional banks understand and, and go through with that process of learning to collaborate has actually sped up the whole market to, to the benefit of all to fintechs banks uh, consumers and um, so we can find out more in our next episode some of your predictions for how other markets could follow this nordic example or not And also look at the international interoperability uh, notion you were just touching on there the idea of being able to use a Tiki or a Vips or a Venmo outside of your uh, your national territory which is something I think we're all looking forward to and it's only going to increase uh, trade and commerce but um, Daniel we've covered a lot here is there anything you'd like to end on before uh, before we wrap it up
1: no, really. I mean, uh, uh, let's uh, let's look forward to the next episode and talk about the predictions about who will actually win this war and, yeah. and what is driving what is driving this war underneath. Right? There's a lot of really interesting payment geeky um, <clears throat> dynamics that are that are going on under the hood that are typically not known to to most. Uh, I look forward to sharing that. And I guess we can end on a note here that I believe that we're walking into a very bright future for mobile payments. And that would be the software remote-based mobile payments for everyone to enjoy, just like you're using Tiki today.
0: Fully agree, my friend. That's a fine note to end on. Daniel Doverline, thank you again for your time. And we'll have you back on the show very, very soon.
1: Looking forward to it. Thank you, Luz. You have a great day. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner, Free A Girl, who are dedicated to founding child prostitution and impunity all over the world.
1: Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free A Girl. Every day, 2 million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.